Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Servants of Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And on today's episode, we're going to continue our series through the book of Psalms, looking today at Psalm 54 and God, my helper. Would you please join me now in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is true and that you desire to teach us and, and to provide the help that we desperately need in the midst of of every situation of our lives and so lord as we look now at this great text of psalms before us lord i pray that we would not only discover that you are our present help in time of need but also how you desire to help us through the grace of god through the means of grace by with the help of your spirit and even with your people so lord we thank you that your word is true and that your word is sufficient. Now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to consider these things and to walk in light of them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to Psalm 54. Psalm 54. Hear what the word of the Lord has to say to us. O God, save me by your name and vindicate me by your might. O God, hear my prayer. Give ear to the words of my mouth. For strangers have risen against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. He will return the evil to my enemies in your faithfulness, put an end to them. With a freewill offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. This is the reading of God's holy precious word now in psalm 53 david expresses expressed compassion for the foolish depraved people who live as if god does not exist and inflict violence on the godly in psalm 54 david returns to the theme of wicked unbelievers except now he's going to face the problem of actually having to do life among them And he says that ruthless men who do not set God before themselves in verse 3 of this psalm. The ungodly have risen up against David to seek his life. And so now he looks to God not merely to send a deliverer in days to come as he hoped for in Psalm 53, but also to give the present help that he needs. And in this predicament, David looks to God as his only salvation, declaring, Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life in Psalm 54.4. The superscription of, of Psalm 54 says that David wrote this prayer when the Zephites went and told Saul, Is not David hiding among us? This, notes, this note connects Psalm 54 to the period of David's life when he was a fugitive from King Saul, which is typical of the David Psalms in Book 2 of the Psalter. This remarkable corpses consists of prayers that David committed to God in times of trial and is precious to God's people as a guide to faith in the hard times of our lives. Psalm 52 introduced us to David's travails, having written when Doag the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Amalek. And as we have seen, Psalm 53 
may respond to Nabal, the fool's contemptuous treatment of David. Psalm 54 was written in an even more desperate hour. David had departed from the security of a stronghold in the caves of Adullam in order to rescue the city of Calah from a Philistine attack. And after the victory, however, David learned that the men of Calah were intending to betray, betray him into the hands of King Saul in 1 Samuel 23.12. This left David with little choice but to flee uh, to the desert region of Ziph. And therefore, there uh, Saul pursued him daily. But the Bible says in 1 Samuel 23.14, God did not give him into his hand. And we can only imagine how weary in body and spirit David must have been, hunted, even famished, burdened with the care of several hundred men and their families unjustly pursued and constantly harried. David likely would have been near the breaking point. What a blow it was when he learned that the Ziphites, like the Keelites, were betraying David by providing information to Saul that the entire countryside was roused against him to deliver him to his persecutor. This was a particularly cruel betrayal, not only because David had done no harm to the Ziphites, but also because they were the people of his own tribe of Judah. Now, Psalm 54, it records David's prayer either during or after this hard trial. He was sub subject to constant danger, and there seemed to have been no one that he could trust. David remembered that he could always trust in God and turn to him for help. And Psalm 54 is therefore a psalm for all who feel helpless, abandoned, or betrayed. Have you been betrayed by those you trusted? Do you see no way of escape from your troubles? David's example in Psalm 54 encourages you to take the words of Joshua Scriven's popular hymn, Help with trials and temptation. Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will... All our day, our, all our sorrows share. Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Psalms in general, and especially those in which David cries to the Lord, are invaluable to believers as example and guides in prayer. How do we take our troubles to the Lord? Psalm 54 exhibits five features of how David prayed to the Lord in desperate trouble that are important as we pray to God in the midst of our own trials. First, David offered a prayer that presents our relationship to God. This begins this psalm, as David says in Psalm 54, verse 1, O God, save me by your name. And so to refer to God's name is to bring forth the glory of who God is and what he represents. And whereas the Keelites and the Ziphites had gained a reputation for untrustworthiness, David can turn to God because of God's reputation for saving those who call on his name. William Van Gemmen comments that the reason for the psalm's confidence lies in his reliance on the Lord's revelation of himself in the past. And so when believers today turn to the Bible and discover God as a sovereign, almighty, compassionate, and faithful Savior, Lord, and King, they are led to turn to a God in times of need because of his name. In biblical times, names were were given not merely for reasons of fancy and family lineage, but also to express something important about a person or a place. David follows a progression of three names in calling out to God in Psalm 54. First, David calls, O God, using the Hebrew name Elohim, which expresses God's deity as creator of all things. In verse 4, David uses the name Lord, the Hebrew word Adonai, which calls on God as the ruler of the world. But it is in verse 6 that David gets to the most intimate and 
For him, the most relevant name for God, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. And here, the Lord signifies the name Yahweh, the personal covenant name that God gave to his own people. The root of this name derives from the verb to be, as God explained to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 3.14, I am who I am. This name, therefore, refers to God's eternal self-existence and self-sufficiency. This is a savior that David needs in his nearly hourly hopeless situation. He needs a deliverer, like the one that Jesus spoke of, saying, With God all things are possible, in Matthew 19.26. And by using the name Yahweh, David also calls on God in terms of his covenant with his people, Israel, of which David was a member. God called his people to trust him and promised that he would be a faithful to them as a savior. In fullness of time, God's covenant came to fulfillment in the sending of his son, Jesus Christ, to be Lord of the covenant and savior of his people. As David called on God to be by his name, Christians call on God today through Jesus Christ, who has secured the right of all believers to be accepted by God in prayer. And now, according to the Apostle Paul, believers have access to the Father through Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians 2.18. And what a difference it makes in time of need to know that we possess the right of access to God in prayer. Many believers struggle to pray because they believe their reception is based on their performance, on what they do. And knowing that they fall short of God's expectation, they fear to show their face to Him in prayer. But the key to confidence in prayer is to look upon God's face in Jesus Christ. John 1.12 tells us to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And one of, the ch- of a child's privileges is access to the Father for help. The Christian's right to pray to God is secured not by our own works, our own merits, but by the saving achievement of Christ, who has counseled the record of death that stood against us, nailing it to a cross, according to Colossians 2.14. Because of Jesus, Hebrews 4.16 urges us, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. According to Martin Luther, seeking salvation in the name of God, as opposed to worldly sources of deliverance, is a special mark of believers. And with reference to Psalm 54, he says, The Ziphites both flourished in earthly things and seek to save themselves by chariots and horses, But the saints seek salvation in the name of the Lord their God. Recalling the name of God, his character, his reputation, his covenant bond with his people will strengthen us to come to him in prayer. Second, Psalm 54 records a prayer that unburdens to God. David opened his heart to the Lord, confiding his frustration, his fear, and his weariness into the hands of God. In verse 2 of Psalm 54, he says, O God, hear my prayer, he cried, give ear to the words of my mouth. Now David was beset by by troubles, and he tells these troubles to the Lord. In verse 3, he says, For strangers have risen up against me, ruthless men seek my life. They do not set God before themselves. The Ziphites, who ought to have acted like friendly neighbors, reveal themselves as strangers. Their eagerness to seek rewards with Saul by betraying David was utterly ruthless. In his vulnerable state, David was surrounded by men who did not set God before themselves. He knew that those who do not fear God cannot be relied on to deal faithfully with men. All these things were already known to God, but as Calvin reminds us, David disburdens his own heart by venting the cause of his fear and disquiet. 
And in this same way, Christians have a sympathetic ear to listen to our pleas since God is always available to receive the cries of our hearts. And instead of trying to bear the burdens that are too great for us, Peter advises Christians to cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you in 1 Peter 5, 7. And Christians who are weighed down with worries or fears often need the help of their believing friends to unburden themselves to the Lord. David was an example of this problem during his time in the wilderness of Ziph. Fortunately, David's covenant friend, Jonathan, was nearby, serving as a commander in the army of his father, King Saul. And Jonathan realized that David was near the breaking point and that he must soon fail and fall if he did not gain help from the Lord in prayer. The Bible records in 1 Samuel 23:16, Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And what does it mean to strengthen someone's hand in God? It means to restore his hope of salvation and the grace of God. Jonathan strengthened David's faith by reminding him of God's word. Sometimes all we can do for a friend is to lovingly remind them of scriptural proofs of God's love and the promises of God in the word. And when we lack the ability to solve the problem or remove the affliction, what a blessing when we bring our, our words, that we, when we help our friend with our words that help a friend to rediscover the arms of divine grace. Third, for all of his many griefs, David offered up a prayer that rejoices in God. And yes, David was beset with terrible troubles, but turning in prayer, he saw anew the face of God, and his heart was filled with joyful confidence. In verse 4, David says, Behold, God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life. The Kelites and the Ziphites of the world, self-serving opportunists, would give David no help. But God himself will help me, David realized. What a difference that, will, that help will make, the, uh, the help of the Almighty, the all-knowing, the all-loving help from a holy God who is faithful to save his people as they pray. And in calling to God his helper, David not only foresaw the practical aid that God would yet provide, but he also realized the ways in which God had already been working to help him. God helps through his people, just as David's faithful friend, Jonathan, came to strengthen his faith. God also helps through his providential control of the circumstances of our lives. Saul had David cornered and was at the very point of apprehending David, and the Bible records what happened to him in 1 Samuel 23, 27-28, which says, A messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. And so Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. David needed God's help through both the ministry of Jonathan, the messenger, who sent Saul's army away. God also helped David by working within to restore his faith and his hope. This is the most important help that God gives us. Since more than health, more than safety, more than provision, we need faith to endure in all situations. It is an open question whether David wrote Psalm 54 before or after the messenger came to call Saul away. More likely, it is written beforehand, since David still appeals to God for help against his pursuers. In that case, the psalm itself is evidence of the help that David realized that he received. And to continue in faith, lifting up our heads with confidence in the salvation of God is to have received God's mighty help through the Holy Spirit's ministry of God's word. Psalm 54, 4 says, The Lord is the upholder of my life. Two other examples help us see what it means to have God as our helper. The first comes from the New Testament. Paul must have felt just like David among the Ziphites during his trial before the throne of Caesar in Rome. 
In writing to his disciple Timothy, Paul complained of being abandoned and betrayed. In 2 Timothy 4, 16-17, which says, At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Still, Paul was not alone. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And the second example comes from church history, when Martin Luther stood alone for the gospel before the menacing empire and the papal accusers. Luther is famous for refusing to back down from teaching true biblical doctrine. When he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Luther then prayed, God help me, amen. God did help Luther in remarkable turns of providence, but the more important help was providing the grace that upheld Luther's faith under trial. And when we feel our faith is slipping away under the pressure of fear and anxiety, we should likewise call on God to help us, not only by relieving our outward distress, but more importantly, by strengthening us inwardly with a conquering faith. And after calling on the name of God and burning his heart, rejoicing in the Lord, David included two final items that should be part of most of our prayers. Psalm 54, fourth displays a prayer that presents requests to God. The practical pursuit purpose of David's prayer was to seek deliverance from his ungodly, unmerciful foes. David complains that strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. And he wants God to overcome them and to keep them safe. We likewise should not hesitate to pray to God for help when we face illness, when people are doing us harm, when we need a job, when any legitimate need presses on us, or when any crisis overwhelms us. David's requests were pointed and empathetic. His example encourages us not merely to pray in general terms, but also to ask God for specific help that we may desire him to provide. In addition to asking God to protect him, David prays for the Lord to clear his name from false accusation. This is a point of Psalm 54.1, where David asked God to vindicate me by your might. Now, some critics might consider this a self-righteous statement, just as they complain against David's supposed vindictiveness in verse 5. He will return the evil to my enemies, and your faithfulness put an end to them. Is this not an unworthy way for a believer to pray? It is charged since Jesus taught us to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you in Matthew 5:44. C.S. Lewis answered by observing that the Psalms rejoice in God's judgment because it is only the only hope of their salvation. The psalmists do not face God's judgment as criminals who seek an acquittal, but as plaintiffs who seek redress or wrongs suffered. The one hopes for an acquittal, or rather pardon the other hopes for a resounding triumph with heavenly damages. And hence he prays, judge my quarrel or avenge my cause. Now David had no court of appeal on earth to vindicate his slandered name or even to protect his rights against evil powers. And so he looks to God's judgment, which alone can restore what had been taken from him. Psalm 51 has already established that David admits his sin and his need of God's grace. Having been justified through faith alone, he looks to God to set things right on his behalf, rejoicing to know that God's justice will ultimately prevail. It is only because we can look uh, to God to avenge us that Christians are called not to seek vengeance on our own. So Paul writes in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Some Christians are inhibited from making requests to God because of his sovereignty and omniscience. Is it not impertinent, they reason, to ask God for things when he already knows what we need? And Jesus answered this objection in the very passage where he noted that the Father knows what you need before you ask him in Matthew 6, 8. 
Jesus did not, for the reason, conclude that there is no point in praying, only that we should not heap up empty phrases in prayer like the pagans. Believers do not have to engage in precise rituals or even frantic histronics in order to gain their Heavenly Father's attention. Instead, we may simply and even clearly make requests of the Lord in the name of Christ. Far from our prayers being pointless because God knows better, Jesus encouraged us to pray because our loving Father is so faithful to give good things to those who ask in Matthew 7.11. And still, some further contend, is it not pointless to pray about things when this sovereign God has decreed all things from eternity past? The answer is that God has called us to present our needs to Him in prayer, since He has sovereignly ordained both the ends and the means, and the prayer is an essential means by which God achieves His will for us. Some believers withhold their prayers because they blame God, arguing that since nothing can happen apart from His sovereign will, He is the cause of our troubles. And it's true that God has ordained our blessings and our trials, both of which for are for our eternal good and for His glory. And yet, Psalm 54 urges us, to embrace David's conclusion that God is my helper, the Lord is the upholder of my life, in Psalm 54.4. And so even in our darkest trials, such as David faced in the desert of Ziph, God's sovereignty is intended for us to draw near to him in prayer, rather than for us to blame him for our trials. And how do we trust in God in the midst of our trials, when all of our trials and all of our lives have been ordained by him? The answer comes by realizing that as sinners, we deserve all of our trials and worse. And yet, when God sent his son to suffer incalculable pains that he did not deserve in order to save us from our sins. The proof of God's love, Paul informs us, was given at the cross in Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us and that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And knowing this, we should turn to God as the answer, never the problem. E.M. Bounds urges us to pray when he says, there is a great value in prayer in times of trouble. Prayer often delivers us out of trouble and begets patience in the midst of trouble. Wise is he in the day of trouble who knows his true source of strength and who fails not to pray. And finally, having presented his request, David models a prayer that responds to God's will. In Psalm 54, 6, it said, that text says, With a free will offering I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. And here David anticipates a return to the tabernacle where he can offer the thank offerings the Lord desires. And so keen was David's sense of gratitude for God's goodness to him that he knew that he should express thanksgiving by obeying God's requirement for gratitude. We too should not depart from prayer without fresh resolutions to honor God in obedience and to glorify God in zealous service to his gospel. And in the final verse of Psalm 54, David shows the quality of his faith, explaining why he resolves to worship the Lord. For he has delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. It is possible that David penned this final line after he watched Saul's forces turning away because of God's intervention. And it's equally possible that David foresaw this in advance with the eyes of faith. In either case, though, David still faced many troubles. His faith has been strengthened by prayer so that he rejoiced in the certainty of his salvation and renewed his commitment to honor the Lord. Believers in Christ can enter into the spirit of David's prayer, even knowing that God may or may not decide to deliver us from our outward trials. Trouble at work may lead to our losing a job, unrighteous government, may throw us into jail for preaching the gospel. The sickness we face may lead to death. 
In the light of Christ's salvation, however, every believer will find David's claim to be true. Psalm 54, 4 says, Behold, my God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. God has helped us by securing our place with him in eternal glory, having removed the guilt of our sin through the blood of his son on the cross and when he rose on the third day. And so a literal reading of Psalm 54, 4 says that the Lord is the upholder of my soul. So whatever may befall the Christian under God's wise providence in life, every believer may rejoice with perfect confidence that their soul is secure in the faithful, gracious, safekeeping name of God. And so before concluding our study of Psalm 54, we need to consider the question of whether this is a messianic psalm. This psalm is not explicitly quoted by Jesus, and no specific prophecies from it are fulfilled in his life, death, or resurrection. And yet as we reflect on David's plea in this song, we are especially reminded that when he faced the cruel suffering on the cross, Remember the gospel story of Jesus and note how David's prayer perfectly tracks the spirituality of Jesus' prayer in heaven. When he prayed, O God, save me by your name, for strangers have risen against me. Ruthless men seek my life. Behold, God is my helper, for he delivered me from every trouble, and my eye has looked in triumph on my enemies. An awareness of this connection between Psalm 54 and the cross, the Church of England assigns the reading of this passage for Good Friday. Psalm 54, likewise, makes good reading for every Christian who carries the cross of Christ in this world. Martin Luther focused on the opening verse where David asked God to vindicate me by your might and saw a direct appeal to the gospel when said this, What is the strength of God by which he saves us? Luther asked. It is that which is a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It is weakness, it is suffering, cross, persecution, and so on. These are the weapons of God. These the strengths and the powers by which he saves and judges and distinguishes us from those who think otherwise. And in describing vindicate, divine vindication in this way, Luther was thinking of Paul's statement that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men in 1 Corinthians 1.25. And so the Reformer reminds us that God does not save us with chariots and horses or any other worldly contrivance. Instead, it is the gospel that is the power of God for the salvation of of everyone who believes in Romans 1.16. In our weakness, amid the deserts of the Ziff, into which God has called us to suffer, Christ will show himself strong through grace and bring glory to himself as the helper of his needy people. And so even if our bodies should be destroyed, our souls and are safely committed into the hands of the Lord, who is the upholder of my life, Psalm 54.4. As followers of Christ, we carry his cross in this world, but we also have God to answer our prayers. The Father heard Jesus. He helped him and saved him through the empty tomb. Just as many centuries earlier, he heard and he saved David. We too can trust God to hear us, to be our helper, and to save us. And knowing this, we can now live in the confidence of faith, saying, with, saying to God with David, I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for it is good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you are a good God, that you are a holy God, that because of Christ, you are the helper of your people. You are our stronghold. You are our shield. You are our fortress. So Lord, help us to call on you. Help us to unburden our hearts. Help us to take our petitions, to take our pleas, to take our cares before the throne of grace and to receive the the help and time of need that we need, as Hebrews 4.15 says. 
Help us to take our struggles, to take our temptations to the cross. Help us as your people to do as Romans 6.11 says and to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Help us to walk as Ephesians 5.1 says in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. Help us to walk in the strength and the power of your grace through the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. You are a help to us in times of struggle, in times of fear, in times of doubt. And so, Lord, we pray for those that do not yet know you, that you might open eyes and ears to hear the truth of Christ and to come to know and to repent and to believe and put their hope and trust in Christ alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.